Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. My guest this week is Emily O'Brien, founder of Comeback Snacks. Emily's unlikely journey into the popcorn business began in 2018 while serving time at a federal prison for drug smuggling. Despite being behind bars, she managed to produce a product and support its launch, making it a completely successful business. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Emily O'Brien transformed an obstacle into an opportunity. The idea for a popcorn brand came to her while watching the 2018 Super Bowl when she was enjoying flavored popcorn her fellow inmates had created. Emily then used her network outside of prison to conduct market research on a popcorn industry. And a few months later, her brand became a viable business with approval from Correctional Services Canada. When Emily was released from custody in December 2018, she was ready to take her business to the next level. And today, Comeback Snacks line of products is available in close to a thousand stores throughout Canada. Where possible, the brand hires people with criminal backgrounds or helps them find work through their partners. As well, the company aims to provide a portion of profits to organizations focused on reintegration programs and prison reform. Here is my conversation with Emily O'Brien. Emily, welcome to The Brand is Female. It's such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you for making time. Of course. Thanks for having me. So I like to go back to the origin story of, you know, your journey, how things started for you. And my favorite question is, you know, when you were growing up as a young girl, what were you dreaming as a career for later in life? What kind of professional future did you envision for yourself at that point? And was it something completely different than what you're doing today? (laughs) Actually, um, it kind of was, and it kind of wasn't. I think my my hero when I was young was Amelia Earhart. I really always wanted to be a pilot. <laughs> I love that. And I just loved how um, adventurous she was and how determined she was and how de- and independent. And she, you know, she fought for so many things. And unfortunately, it ended up meeting, meeting her demise. But although I didn't become a physical pilot, I think metaphorically, we were all pilots of our own life. And now with work, I do a lot of traveling on on planes and stuff. So you do find yourself in the air going on these adventures. So whether it's a physical plane or, you know, metaphorical description, I think, um, I think I still have that pilot in me. (laughs) That's, that's so great. And there's, you know, there's still not enough women pilots. And I love that even back then that was your role model um, because there, there were few women pilot, uh, you know, uh, even, even over a decade ago. So uh, this this was uh, uh, I can see how inspiring it was for you. Um, yeah. You've had an uncon- unconventional journey to making it as an entrepreneur, and I love that you've incorporated that in your brand story and in you know the marketing of your brand. So, for listeners who are not familiar, I do want to hear you recount this journey. Um, so, let's talk about you know um, from you going to school and then the first chapters of your journey that eventually led you to starting the company. Tell me a little bit about how that happened for you. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up um, in Hamilton, Ontario. I was the middle child of three daughters. So, you know, insert middle child syndrome joke here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I was always very adventurous, very curious, very, always very loving too. Um, As I got into high school, I did kind of start getting into trouble a little bit because I was a little bit of a rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So my grades in high school were like, I liked learning, but I didn't like learning things that were forced on me. Um, So school, so school was not a great environment for you, basically. (laughs) It was to make, to like meet friends. You know, I love, I love people. I love hanging out with people and, uh, or, and also loved like, you know, doing extracurricular activities like sports and I joined a lot of clubs and cause that was like my, that's what I got to choose, you know, what what things I was interested in. And then when I got got to a university, my degree was actually international development. So I went to the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada. And um, that was because all throughout high school, I'd really found beauty in traveling. Like we traveled as a family when we were young. And then I did my first independent trip abroad when I was 18 to Costa Rica. So, you know, no cell phone back then. I think I had three (laughs) disposable cameras all which were ruined by the air pressure in the plane when I got home. So I have, no. <laughs> but, um, it was just traveling abroad and volunteering that really like brought a sense of calmness about me. And just by helping others by, even if it's like, you know, raking a, a trail in the forest or helping with sea turtles <laughs> or restoring a park after an earthquake, you know, I did all mm-hmm. these things in different countries and it was Amazing. kind of doing that kind of work that really made me feel fulfilled and, and free, uh, you know, not trapped in in one place doing, doing one thing. And so when I went to Guelph, I chose international development. So hopefully I could turn, um, turn that into a, into a career. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I I also like had an interest in, in in nutrition and Mm -hmm. growing up, we always were very healthy. Um, although I did struggle with, with eating for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Um, that was kind of what led to my substance abuse issues, actually. Um, so I, w- I was also interested in nutrition, and I was also interested in business. But funnily enough, my chemistry grades weren't good enough for the nutrition program at Guelph, and my math grades weren't calculus, so I couldn't get into. <laughs> I was an applied right. math, couldn't get into yeah. the business school, at <laughs> which is funny because you know, as people will know, that's kind of I work in both those fields now. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so throughout university, um, I kind of began to use more substances and it was just more of, there was like a, definitely a a big party aspect to it. I'm not going to lie. I Mm -hmm. did find a lot of my courses weren't just the first and second year. They're all just very dry courses. And I I find them very relative to what I wanted to learn, even though I had to like learn it. And so I began to join like a bunch of clubs. So by the end of my, my five years at Guelph, you know, I, I did graduate with honors, although my first and second year grades weren't that, uh, weren't that great, but, um, yeah, I graduated with honors and, and off I went to Indonesia to work for the ministry of foreign affairs. So, um, that's what, that was an unpaid, unpaid internship. I loved it so right. much, but I, I found it very challenging to find work in a field without mm-hmm. three years experience. Right. right. It's like, oh, yeah. Like that's what's it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? I, you, you want entry level students, but with three years experience, so it's like, <laughs> what are you supposed yeah. to do here? Yeah. No, that gap is always so tough. It's like every, you know, as you're saying, every first job opportunity requires experience. Like, well, where are we supposed to get it? <laughs> yeah. And so after that, I, um, I did a corporate sales job. I was like, well, I'm just going to try the corporate route. So I got a job with Pitney Bowes and they, you know, at the time they sold postage meters and yeah. <laughs> uh, photocopiers. <laughs> and I, I knew that I was kind of working in an obsolete industry, at least right. in the, the postage meter thing. But that, that was when I kind of learned that I was really good at sales. Cause I was like, Oh, I okay. can talk to anyone about this thing that I don't even really use and, you know, h- help figure out if they need it or not, you know, not, mm-hmm. not pretend like they need it. Cause I didn't, 
I wasn't one of those like shysty salespeople that's like, oh yeah, you need this. Because like I knew they didn't really, right? So it was more just about being honest with people, but also being really good um, with people. And then that turned into networking. And then that turned into running my, my own business in Toronto, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was a social media company because I wanted to combine all my elements of travel with my elements of people and yeah. created a company that revolved around sharing stories via social mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. So that's when the true kind of Emily came out. And another thing happened at that same time. And that was when, you know, my family kind of fell apart. Uh, I mm-hmm. went from drinking to like casually, I would guess to, you know, me- drinking for medication. And I mm-hmm. fell into some cocaine use as well. And I knew, I knew it wasn't good, but I also found it very easy to hide. Um, mm-hmm. So I wasn't, you know, it's not like I was going to do it back. <laughs> it's like, doing these things like it was it was uh, everywhere right those substances were very prevalent in many environments in toronto and they yeah. weren't con- they weren't condemned right yeah, exactly. so it wasn't like something that was people really was accepted yeah yeah people brought it out people don't try to put it away so yeah i was like okay and then i knew that my motivation was was going down and i met someone through my work which kind of developed into like a close i wouldn't say quite romantic but just like very close trusting a lot of the articles you'll read, they'll, they'll say it was my boyfriend. He wasn't really my boyfriend. He was just someone that okay. I knew and trusted. And yeah. wanted to, he wanted to take me on a trip. And as soon as we got on this trip to St. Lucia, um, you know, we have a great couple, three days in the sand and sun. And mm-hmm. the third day, he tells me that we have to bring drugs back over the border. Surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was really mad at myself at first. I like, I didn't think it was real. And I'm going to try to keep condense it. Like there's so much to this story, but you know, for the sake of the, the listeners, it was basically a week of hell. Um, yeah. that, you know, I, I felt incredibly embarrassed at my, at myself for not seeing this. Mm-hmm. I knew there were some red flags, but they're only red flags once we see them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, they're just a piece of cloth. Right. <laughs> so, um, and I just wanted to go home. I didn't know this world. Um, he, t- he booked the ticket. So he had all the information on me and my family. And apparently he was in a lot of debt and he had told these people down there that I was doing this with him prior to our departure. Wow. Yeah. So I just, I didn't want to play hardball. I wanted to go home, which I'm yeah. sure a lot of people would have done. Yeah. 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 For sure. And yeah, you were choosing what seemed like the safest option to just get you back. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, you always get so many armchair experts when these things happen, right? They're like, oh, you should have done this, should have done this, should have done this. But when you're actually in this situation, you'd be surprised how, how quickly things change. Yeah. Nobody, <laughs> I don't think anybody's prepared for this situation, right? It's, yeah. it's not a class that we get taught in school. Yeah. And uh, so on the final day of the trip, you know, I was suited up with two kilograms of cocaine and put on the airplane with him. Wow. And, and when we got to Pearson... I was really bad. I knew I was going to be bad at it. I was a terrible liar. Like I didn't want to do it. I wanted to go home and body language is often the loudest language or the loudest voice in the room. So that luckily I think that kind of saved me because we got pulled into secondary. And after they asked me questions, I said, yes, you know, I was concealing narcotics. Wow. So, yeah. And then that's, so that's how it all, that's, that was, that was actually the beginning the, that was a prequel to my entrepreneurial journey where I'm at now. <laughs> so that obviously landed you in jail as yes. hearing drugs across the border does if you get caught, unfortunately. Yes. Um, yeah. And from then on, and, you know, was it kind of total despair? Did you, you know, how, how were you able to navigate what came next? 
So after I was arrested, I had to spend the like the first little bit on house arrest with my mom because okay. it takes a long time for these these cases to go through the system and working with the lawyers. Right. But I knew that I was going to plead guilty because although I didn't orchestrate this operation, I knew that I had to take responsibility. We all have to take responsibility for our, for our life. Even sometimes though, we've been harmed in, in the middle of it. Yeah. And I knew that I couldn't move forward until I stopped harboring all this anger right. and resentment on this person that had brought me on this trip. Like that was, that was him winning kind of like that was him taking all, all this mental space. You know, mm-hmm. my family was under tremendous stress and I knew that just by pleading guilty, knowing that I could do something with a situation that was good because I felt mis- so misunderstood and, you know, on piece of paper, it's like, you are this horrible person, but mm-hmm. I had to look back on the rest of my life and know that this was one thing that happened on one day. I'm yeah. 26 years old and there are 365 days in a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure for most of those days, I've been a pretty good person. Right. So it was also hard to get beyond, you know, all those negative things that were said, you know, just by law enforcement and, and things like that. And, you know, you're a piece of SHIT and just so like condescending and yeah. know it all and everything like that. So but that was when the fire in me sparked to fight for something good. It wasn't to be angry, but it was to fight for something good. And that right. was to fight for the person that I knew that I was. And so when I got to prison, I kind of saw how a lot of people felt the same way. You know, we all had maybe done things that we'd regretted or been involved in things that had gotten us there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also realized that I was very lucky in the sense that I did have a supportive family. You know, they were able to support my bail when I was out. I they did not pay for my legal fees. I paid for my legal fees. Wow. They helped mm-hmm. me. A lot of people are like, oh, your parents probably paid for it. And I was like, no, they helped me. They love me. But I also had to be responsible for these right. things. Yeah. And it turned out to be the best 50 grand I ever spent. So, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in prison, uh, we would all kind of make different kinds of dishes. You know, some people would make their favorite dish from wh- whatever country they were from. And mm. popcorn was a popular prison snack. And, um, we, we put like lemon pepper and dill on it one day. Cause we had access to certain spices. Okay. As yeah. a medium security unit. So it wasn't like, you know, the max security that yeah. you see uh, a lot of time on TV, you know, a lot of these medium, medium and minimum security prisons are just filled with like regular people who are involved in, you know, not, not very violent crimes. Not too serious and, crimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, still drugs are serious and they, they ruin lives, but yeah. A lot of people in there did not have the intent to ruin people's lives. They yeah. they did it out of survival or were forced into it or, or or just so ignorant or something like that. You know, I, yeah. I can't yeah. speak about me, but um, but yeah. So I knew that I wanted to kind of help change the stigma. I also saw a lot of creativity in there. I saw a lot of people like making their own outfits and mm. doing fit, amazing art and and you know creating amazing food, uh, writing amazing stories. Um, just bringing people together. Like there was so much humanity in there Mm -hmm. and people think prison is the opposite of that. Right. And I wanted to kind of help change that perspective. And Mm. popcorn was, was that vector. And so I decided to start a popcorn in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Popcorn can do a lot. I mean, it's my favorite snack, so I can relate. Oh, is it? Yeah. Great. (laughs) And you know, like all popcorn kernels, like they all look the same right before they're popped. But it, depending on what environment you pop them in, you know, if you pop them for too long, if you yeah. if you put if you don't cook them the right way, then they're going to get burnt mm. or something. So it's, it all depends on our environment how we how we pop as a human. And all all popcorn kernels actually pop differently. They're like snowflakes. Such a good they're metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, so popcorn, you were onto something with the with the the, the flavored snack. 
And mm-hmm. so you, I, I mean, you, you got out of jail and did you, so I want to take you to when you started the business officially, was that something you did while you were still behind bars or did that happen afterwards? Yeah. Well, I had, I had a year actually. And so my sentence was a total of four years. Okay. And so for people that don't know, you have to serve a certain amount inside. Yeah. So a quarter basically, and then you can be eligible to enter the community given the fact that you hadn't had any like infractions or anything like that. Everyone gets the same chance at on a certain day after a certain amount of time. Gotcha. So yeah. So I was like, I was like, nothing is stopping me from getting out at this time. So I used like the 11 months that I was in there to just read and write letters and learn about people, learn about the system. Mm. I had an entire mm. library that I had access to and I had none of the distractions, right? right? You know, mm. I, I had no phone, like sure there was like TVs in there, but I was able to finally go back to reading. I've always loved mm. reading and I felt that my, I feel, I think like our memories have, have kind of been clouded a bit. Like when it terms, when it comes to reading, I, the books that I read in there, I actually remembered what I read. Sometimes when we read on the outside, we get so distracted with other things. We're like, wait, what, what did I read about? Yeah. Right. And so yeah. I think I had like a more deeper understanding of the books that I read that I was able to apply those principles to building a business plan and even working on recipes and making friendships with the people inside mm-hmm. and also volunteers on the outside that would come in and try to, you know, get to know the women that were, that were in there because we all need support in one way or the other. And mm-hmm. if you don't have positive support when you come out, then it's going to be very, very challenging for you to be successful. Right. Absolutely. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. And then, so the idea for Comeback Snacks, I'm guessing kind of sparked in there somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it it just popped in there. And then I also, um, for example, like finding employment is one of the big things that people are worried about, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there are still like a large number of organizations that will just not even look at you, yeah. right? If you mm-hmm. have this record, when really sometimes if you have been through really crappy times in your life, you are strong and you are ready to fight for something that can actually make you a really good employee. Exactly. You, you have amazing learn. qualities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's interesting. I was listening to um, one of the, one of the women whose name escapes me now, uh, you know, on, on the U.S. equivalent to Dragon's Den, which might be called Dragon's Den. Oh, Shark Tank. Shark Tank. Thank you so much. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> uh, she was talking about how she never invests in rich kids. She likes to invest in poor kids. And the rationale was, you know, the poor kids have, you know, they have a hunger. They, they're used to the hustle. They're used to fighting for something. And this has developed amazing qualities in them, right? Somebody who's had the privilege and all of the opportunities may not have the same, you know, quali- some, some of them do. She was saying there's some exceptions to this, but there's just kind of that drive and that spark and, and you know, that grit that comes from going through tough times. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I can equate that to what, you're, to what you're bringing up. So for you, was it, um, 
you know, did you, did you know already you wanted to start a business again because you were an entrepreneur prior to uh, lending in jail? Um, or was it kind of coming to the conclusion that it might be hard to find employment afterwards? I think it was a combination of both. You know, I didn't know what business I was going to start. I knew for sure I wasn't going to write a book. I didn't really feel like I was worthy to write a book. I was just some chick in jail for attempting to smuggle drugs like to, to the public at that time. Right. You know? And so I thought I knew that through the business, through the social enterprise, right. Because mm. it does have a massive social enterprise element to it, which is contributing dollars to organizations that help other women, other individuals coming out of prison. Um, we like, I do workshops and everything like that to also to help people. So um, I knew that I was going to do, do something, but I just didn't know, didn't know what it was going to be, but it, yeah. it wasn't until I had that lived experience that mm-hmm. really got me something. Cause I was, I, I was rooted in that now. Yeah. Right. And I knew that I kind of saw it as like a sabbatical, like a forced mm-hmm. sabbatical. Yeah. <laughs> like a retreat. So, yeah. 50, yeah. 50, like people pay 50 grand for rehab. So yeah. I was like, you know, I'm going to take every element of this and, and reframe it yeah. in a way that it's productive and positive for me, but also realistic. Right. You know, can, can like rose colored glasses, everything's fine. Yeah. You have to know that things are su- really serious and yeah. you have to treat them seriously. Like a yeah. business, a business isn't a joke either. Right. It's like you can have fun elements to it, but when it comes down to it, if you're going to actually support yourself and, and the people you are trying to serve, you have to be serious. And were you getting support for, you know, your, your substance abuse or, uh, you know, any, any type of, uh, uh just, you know, mental health follow-up, for example, were you able to access that? Um, I wouldn't say the mental health uh, offerings in prison are are that great, to be honest. Yeah. And also a lot of people don't want to use them because in the prison system, everything goes in what's called your paperwork. And often mm. parole officers can use you accessing mental health services and twist it in a way that makes you appear not ready to come into the community. Right. So that's why people were a little bit nervous about accessing those. Mm. My substance use, I knew that I was going into prison on like on a mission and I knew that my substances were an issue with that. You know, I, right. I didn't consider myself an addict because I knew that I could stop. Okay. And I, and I was ready to stop. I just did too much. I used too much at that one time because I was going through like a, a a very horrific time, but like, I would never steal. I would never like, you know, do anything like that to, to get those, those things. Um, and I, when I stopped, I was excited to stop. It wasn't agony for me. It was happiness because I knew I just had to press the reset button and, you know, Mm -hmm. I can be around alcohol. Now I can have like a glass of wine here, Mm -hmm. a cocktail there and it's fine. You know, it's, it's very different. Um, but I think a lot of the times people think there's only one or the other and that that's also not true. Right. So, yeah, that's great. Um, so when did you make comeback snacks official and when did you realize, yeah, this business is actually going to take off? Well, I knew in my heart I was going to make it take off because I believed in the cause so much. I believed in the people that I met in there so much just by seeing how misunderstood that we were and how also the media plays a huge role in negatively impacting people's abilities of successful re- reintegration. So mm. I went straight to the media when I got out, I was like, this is what yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah. And I know not everyone's going to be a fan of it right away because as soon as you come out with anything that involves crime, you always have the yeah. do the crime, do the time people. And oh, she should rot in jail, like all those mm. kinds of people. But I was like, I was like, I knew I was expected for those. And I was already used to that kind of language from like the law enforcement anyway. So it's like, right. it didn't really mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> and even in the modern world, people talk, 
SHIT about people all the time. So yeah, yeah. It wasn't really that difficult for me because it was more of like a challenge. Right. And so, and was it kind of, you know, taking ownership, taking control of your narrative before other people might, which absolutely, I think is a good lesson for any entrepreneur, any woman in business, right? Even Mm -hmm. if the circumstances, the circumstances are different and, you know, didn't do prison time or commit a crime. Often if we leave it to others, uh, the narrative is not ours. Yeah, exactly. And then that can lead to so many other worse, worse things. So I was like, I was like, I went out and I was like, I owned it and that's how I'm going to fix it. And this is how I'm going to help others at the same time and hopefully help society as well, because there are, there were a lot of laws in place that weren't helpful for people coming out of prison, right? Like, like mandatory minimums, for example. Um, most people like that have been convicted of mandatory minimums in the drug smuggling world weren't making anything off that, you know, it's always someone higher up and you're just a used drug mule uh, so that someone with more amounts could get through yet. They're putting these people in jail for four years or more, which is not only expensive, um, it's $160,000 a year to keep a female inmate in prison. Right. Um, you don't get to build your finances in there. Yeah. So say if finances were an issue, you come out with like $200, mm-hmm. um, you come out with nowhere to live. Right. And so it's like, what's, what could that money be going towards? It could be going towards like, you know, rehabilitation. It could be going mm-hmm. towards career development or actual education. Yeah. Um, something that could actually keep the community sa- safer, you know, so that, and also keep that person safer so mm-hmm. that that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now I work with like the federal government, the provincial government on things. Um, I worked with law enforcement, human trafficking agencies, mm. just, uh, and it all started with popcorn and popcorn was mm-hmm. the vector to really helping explore and fight for all these changes that needed to be made. Mm. Did you encounter resistance at first? What was kind of the feedback when you were on the outside and, you know, starting to promote and talk about the business? Um, <laughs> Or, you know, what, what kind of challenges came in your way, basically? I mean, resistance is a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a good challenge. It's like yeah. being challenged, like a, like a fight kind of thing. Right. <laughs> Not this fight, but like a fight for what you believe in. Yeah. A base lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I couldn't fight for it if I didn't go to prison. Right. Like if I yeah. didn't see it for myself, it would like, I wouldn't be so focused on proving other people wrong and proving myself right. So, um, so I think when I came out, there was like a little bit of it, but also a a lot of people knew who I, I wasn't like well known by any means, but like the people that knew me knew that that was not me. What happened to me? Like they knew that I was a good person. So I, I had like a lot of great support and the more that I knew that, you know, the risk again with sharing stories in the media was like, you know, kind of like little insults and jabs and all that stuff. And, but, um, they, they've actually stopped because I've just walked the walk. I haven't just talked the talk and I've worked with, I met so many people along the way, you know, I produced a docu-series and just mm-hmm. to shed light on this as much as possible. Cause there's, it, it's a pretty, people think it's a simple issue and it's not, it's yeah. a very complicated issue with a lot of things that, and it hits different groups of people in different, different ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So once, you know, the business started taking off, was there a moment where you're like, wow, this is actually going to be a successful business and, you know, I can keep this going. What was kind of that first cornerstone moment for you? I think it was when I did my first pop-up in Toronto and John Tory came. Oh, wow. <laughs> like the former mayor of Toronto. Yeah. yeah. And it had, it had a different name at the time, but then he like, 
then he made a Twitter post about me and it was like, I was terrified actually. Cause you know, the Twitter is, I was like up all night. I was like, Oh my God, people are just going to rip me apart. Some did, but then it wasn't that bad. And then, but you know, like sometimes when the, I don't know, it was like the first like celebrity that I'd tweeted about this initiative. Yeah. And so of course, you know, you, you don't really know. It's always hard to take the, like the hate the mm-hmm. first time. And then after a while you just kind of, it either, you know, dwindles off because yeah. you're proving your, yeah. proving them wrong. Um, and you know who you are. It's, it's yeah. not, you know, you've, you've heard it all at this point. So what are they going to try to say? Like, you know where you're coming from, but you also know where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. And I would get like tons of um, media outlets just trying to talk about the story. Cause I did the first one with them, um, the local paper in Hamilton, Ontario called the Hamilton spectator. And then that yeah. got shared in the Toronto bar. And so that brought on tremendous community support as well. You know, I had a company like donating all these labels for us. So it, mm-hmm. it actually brought in so much support of people uh, just trying to help and being like, I'm telling my daughter about this, you know, it's like, Oh, can you help me with this situation? Oh, this actually happened to someone I know. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you, you actually see how prevalent of an issue. Um, now I don't want to say like necessarily going to prison, but like how prevalent of an issue mental health is and substance use and horrible yeah. things that happen, but how, if you actually all bond together, Mm-hmm. Um, and realize that, and so comebacks, that's why I changed the name to comebacks next because okay. like mistakes are universal, but so are comebacks. So yeah, it's not just about prison time. It can be coming back from any, well, not just physical prison, but any kind of prison. It yeah. can be like a f- physical prison in the sense like you have an injury and you feel like you can't move or mental health prison where you feel like you don't mm. know who you are and, or you don't know how to say things or a financial prison, a marital Mm. prison. It can be Mm. a geographical prison. Like, you know, you might want to move and you can't because it's too expensive. Yeah. So I think we've all been in prisons before and Mm. it's all more about realizing that. And we all need each other in support of comebacks. Yeah. Uh, that's that's so great to hear. Um, the I want to talk about the, the the social enterprise, you know, element of yeah. of your business. Uh, so you yeah. employ uh, people in prison or out of prison? Yeah, so we employ people that are actually out, like coming out right now. Um, people that have kind of passed their initial like parole thing, because mm-hmm. a lot of people that are in prison, like there's still a lot of trauma that needs to be helped and. I like, I, I try to help some people, but it's just, it's, it's very difficult for me because it's so complex. Mm-hmm. So what we do is like, we help people that are on their way into full parole okay. and like, you know, they, they got their place to live. They have all that stuff. But then I also go into, um, the halfway houses to, to like to teach and do workshops. Um, you know, I, I volunteer with, um, Elizabeth Fry, for example, mm-hmm. and the young street mission and Renaissance house and just things like that to kind of share the story and provide value other than just financial, because mm-hmm. when you're a small company, you can't really, you can barely support yeah. yourself because you're yeah. investing in it. So, but I knew that I had value in other ways that could help Absolutely. people and it can come in so many different ways. It can be in, in a text message or connecting someone to like a job, mm-hmm. job board agency that, you know, I know that they have employers there that don't, you know, not that they don't care about records, but like they will hire you despite the fact that you have one. So mm-hmm. John Howard, for example, has this, really great program now called fair chances and it's called the fair chance coalition. So it's a collection of all these employers that realize now that there's so much untapped talent mm-hmm. and especially in the orders that we have now, it's, um, it's something that needs to be addressed and focused on. And so I'm really proud to be part of that as well. 
That's amazing. Um, how do you view your role? I mean, you're, you know, at the helm of your company, you're the CEO, uh, you're obviously, uh, you know, very involved with, with the communities you're helping. So, you know, you're a leader, um, I think to the external world as well, you're, you're a role model for, you know, for many women, for many entrepreneurs. Um, what do you think you bring to your role as a leader and how do you view leadership in general? I view leadership as family to, to be honest. Um, like when I have the individuals that we work with, you know, they can text me like whenever they want. And I'm sure like this because we're still small. Um, but I don't want them to be afraid of things. I don't, I don't want them to see, sometimes I don't want to see them to see me like this. I want right. everyone to be like this. Mm. And sometimes I'm, and sometimes they're leading me. Sometimes they're teaching me things as well. Mm-hmm. Like we all have things that we can, we can teach each other. Um, but also it also comes down to learning hard lessons as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And learning, learning hard, hard truths and, and things or, you know, it's leadership can come in so many ways, shapes and forms, but it all comes down to, yeah, honesty, being realistic, mm-hmm. but also being able to laugh and having that family kind of environment. Right. You mentioned, you know, your first kind of role model inspiration was a female pilot. Uh, who are role <laughs> models for you today? Um, so my role models today are still Amelia Earhart, definitely my mm-hmm. mom. And my Nana, mm-hmm. my Nana who mm-hmm. passed away lately and my grandma who passed away a couple of years ago, but they were oh, all just my close knit family, but yeah. they, they weren't afraid of life. They weren't afraid of death. They weren't afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. They just made those around them feel so loved and, and strong, but also, you know, my, my mom's tough. Like she, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. why it was so hard to like realize that I'd hurt her so much. So yeah, I think, um, that's what was another one of my motivating factors was, you know, no, no one deserves to be a quasi victim. They were quasi victims in this case, right? Like they, right. they had to upend their lives so I could come live with them and just the entire stress of going through that, that whole thing. Like we don't mm. know that world. Right. So it was just like a lot of anxieties and not being able to talk about the case and just going through that whole thing as a family together was, was great. Mm. And yeah. what what would your advice be to women entrepreneurs who are thinking of starting maybe a social enterprise, right? A, a company that has purpose that's really rooted in uh, in that uh, that kind of impact in a similar industry or something completely different. What would be kind of your top two or three pieces of advice for them? Um, number one, like for me, it was like my lived experience, mm-hmm. right? In that thing, so we all have something that we really care about. Um, but we can't do it alone. So I think alongside that, you have to get to know the people that you're trying to, to, to help serve. Um, and you have to not just have work with them, but also work with other people that have maybe built similar things. It's all about connection. And that's how you can truly make big impact yeah. and be relentless, be relentless with your story, be relentless with your beliefs. Mm-hmm. You might have, you're going to have to say it a million times. You're going to have to say it 2 million times. But it's also going to evolve. And the more that you share it, the more you're going to help other people. And that's how you will truly find a business and working in a business that works for you, not just financially and supports you, but supports you emotionally. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I call that emotional profit. And that's how you can Mm. be truly rich. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) How do you define success today? Speaking of that. I think success is being able to laugh every single day, no matter what. I love that answer. Yeah. That's a good way to measure success. (laughs) Yeah. And 
what's on the vision board for you for 2023 and beyond? What are kind of the next stages in, in the growth of your company? Sure. So we just, uh, we have a bunch of distributors. Um, mm -hmm. So we're in 750 retailers across Canada, mostly in Ontario to the Maritimes. Yeah. yeah. So we're in Scotiabank Arena, like you, we're in breweries, you know, offices. Um, we do events, like we're in so many different channels. Mm -hmm. um, but the latest one, which is great, um, our distributor, the Neil Brothers, they just, um, they make the chips and stuff like that. But yeah, <laughs> of course. Salsa, the great guys. Um, yeah. They resonated with me because one of the brothers had also a mental health uh, scare. And so he really saw the value in, in putting that into, into your work. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, actually how we, why we work with them. But they partnered with a distributor at West called John Luca. And so now just opened up the entire Western corridor for us. Uh, whereas before we couldn't really do it with freight and shipping like individual was just way too expensive. Right. So um, now I'm going to Vancouver, uh, Oh, I'm going to Vancouver tomorrow for my first trade show. So oh, congratulations. That's really exciting. Yeah. We're doing more flavor development as well. And then also uh U.S. We're getting, mm -hmm. getting ready for the U.S. My business partner right now is actually in a export training session. So fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And then from the social enterprise side, I want to continue to work with the John Howard society. Like they mm -hmm. just kind of launched this program, the fair chances. So I really want to see it grow and expand. And then as that grows and I can, you know, bring in more employers and kind of be, Instead of just being one, because like we're still very, very small. Like right. I don't want to like over exaggerate like that because we don't have like a factory put with like a bunch of people working from prison. That like of, like we have a very small team, so right. I, I want to expand that notion, that belief to other employers who do have like more resources and everything like that. So. Mm. Well, we'll share all the links where to find you for anyone who's listening and wants to get involved and, uh, and including retailers. So this is all very exciting. And yeah. thank you so much, Emily. It was great hearing about your journey. Super impressed with what you've built and uh, wishing you all the best for the, the, the new projects and, you know, what's on, on the vision board for Comeback Snacks. So we'll check in with you and I can't wait to see where this takes you. But thank you for your time. Today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.